In 2015, 45-year-old Nadia Medley had recently become a widow and a single mother. Life was tough for Nadia after her husband's death and she was working hard just to stay afloat. The last thing on her mind was starting a new relationship. One day she was at work when her next client on the table was a man in his late 50s named Mike Bullinger. Nadia was a massage therapist and Mike was her client. This chance encounter left Nadia feeling butterflies and eventually the two made a love connection. In 2017, Nadia, her 14-year-old daughter Peyton, and Mike had moved on to a beautiful plot of land in rural Idaho. This wasn't the beginning to happily ever after though. In June of that year, three bodies were discovered in a shed on the property. It was the height of summer and it is believed they were there for up to 10 days. Decomposition had long set in, making it hard to identify who police had found. Although police consider this case closed, there is one major missing piece, the killer. How can this be a closed case if they don't have the person responsible in prison? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. This week's case is kind of a mysterious one. It may be considered solved and closed, and it kind of is, but it also kind of isn't. Let's get into the case and you will see what I mean. Nadia Medley became a single mother to her teenage daughter in 2014 when her husband passed away. This alone would have been hard for her to deal with, but then another tragedy happened right after her husband's death and she had a miscarriage. Just one of these events is enough to shatter someone and Nadia had had both happen. Still, Nadia didn't give up. She persevered for her daughter and herself, working hard to support them both. It seemed the financial situation was dire and Nadia was having a hard time paying her mortgage. Nadia was focused on making things work and wasn't even thinking about dating. Ogden, Utah in 2015, Nadia was at work when a good-looking, divorced, private pilot came in for a massage. This man was in his late 50s, charming, and to Nadia, he was very handsome. This is how Nadia Medley and Mike Bullinger met. In some sources, they call him Gerald, and in others, they call him Mike, because his full name is Gerald Michael Bullinger, and I believe he must have gone by his middle name to some people. I'm going to talk more about this later, but for now, I'm going to refer to him as Mike. Mike and Nadia eventually formed a relationship. Even Mike and Nadia's teenage daughter, Peyton, they forged a special bond. Mike was so good to the two of them. He took them on all kinds of adventures and into all kinds of fun activities like baseball games. He took them to Yellowstone National Park. He took them to fairs and rodeos. They were just having this amazing time. Nadia, she loved to post on social media. She was posting pictures and captions of the three of them having the best time wherever they went. The captions would read things like, my boyfriend is awesome, and then show her and Mike together, cuddling, kissing. 
just being very intimate and having this loving relationship. And it started to seem like these, the, like Nadia's dark times were behind her. Like all relationships though, it, it wasn't perfect. Mike and Nadia, they had a bit of a falling out after Nadia would repeatedly ask Mike for help paying her mortgage. Mike thought the relationship might be moving fast and he didn't want to you know, give Nadia large sums of money, which is perfectly fine. Mike didn't live with Nadia after all. He had his own bills to pay. I watched an interview on True Crime Daily uh, that they did with a friend of Nadia and Peyton's, and she said that Nadia saw one of Mike's paychecks and it was over $10,000 for a month. Um, So I guess being a a private pilot was paying very well. And Nadia thought that maybe Mike should have the money to help her pay her mortgage. I mean, I get what Nadia was thinking by asking him this. She's struggling. She's a single mother. Her husband has died. She meets Mike. They fall in love. He's got a good paying job. But the thing is, Mike's money is his money. And if he says no then maybe don't ask again. But she kept asking. And eventually this led to some turmoil in the relationship and this led to them breaking up. Maybe Mike wanted to be sure that Nadia was with him for the right reasons and and not just for money. This breakup didn't last very long though as they both wanted to get back together. So they, they had this argument about money and they broke up and then it wasn't long and they were both like do you know what that was stupid that was a stupid argument let's get back together let's make it work we both clearly love each other and after this Nadia she wouldn't have to worry about mortgage payments anymore because in 2017 Mike bought a plot of land in Caldwell Idaho and invited Nadia and Peyton to come live on the the farm with him and they could be this family this loving perfect family this was quite a big move for Nadia and Peyton as they were living in Ogden and according to Google Maps Ogden Utah to Caldwell Idaho is about a four and a half hour drive but this was definitely worth the move for them and Nadia she was really excited and she posted about it on social media she just was very excited to tell everybody that this was happening and there was she was asking hey people who live in this area in Idaho do you know can you recommend me any good places to eat like she was so excited to go there she was looking at different restaurants in the area just getting ready to build this life that she's envisioning on this beautiful property when they moved to the farm, she was also posting videos giving tours of the property and just showing off the property. And I saw pictures and videos of this property and it's what I would call a hobby farm. It's gorgeous. It is a nice piece of land, lots of room for a vegetable garden, dogs, chickens, horses, whatever. You can put it on. There's just so much room. There was already some structures on the property as well that could house horses and chickens, all this kind of stuff. And it was pretty luscious. There was a lot of trees and wildflowers. I, I wouldn't say it was secluded, but I, it definitely is rural. Definitely. They did have neighbors close by, but you couldn't see their houses. Not because they were far, far away, but they weren't very close either. And there was a lot of trees and it was creating this feeling that they were more secluded than what they actually were. This property was just, it's a, it's a dream plot of land. 
Nadia and Peyton, they move on to this newly purchased property with Mike and they get to work. It wasn't perfect, but they were willing to fix it up and they were they were more than willing to do what needed to be done to turn this into their dream life. Mike was away a lot because he's doing his private piloting thing. So, it, you know, he's away a lot. It wasn't uncommon for him to be gone for stretches of time for work. Nadia, she was busy building fences and adequate containments for the animals she wanted on the farm, including rabbits and chickens, just all, all the all the cool farm animals. She, she wanted them all. It was going to be this cute hobby farm. And she was making it happen. She was putting in the work. Mike, he had also purchased some horses for the farm, but those horses would never get picked up. Peyton, like Nadia, was very active on social media, and she even had her own YouTube channel, which often featured her mother, or sometimes it was just her talking about being positive and living life now because you don't know how much time you have. That video becomes very haunting later on. I did manage to find this YouTube video that uh, Peyton had made and I found it through Reddit and I'm just going to play you a bit of it now. You need to put yourself out there because we have one short life and no matter what you believe happens afterwards, we have one life and you need to live it the way you want to, doing whatever you want to do, not what other people want you to do. Live your life the way that make it makes you happy. But just listen to me. It's more important to live in the now and live like we're going to die tomorrow than live like we have 20 years ahead of us. That motivational YouTube video that Peyton recorded, I believe, was part of uh, telling people about her New Year's resolution. She was saying she wanted to speak up for herself more. She wanted to say no to things that she didn't want to do. And it turned into this beautiful motivational speech about living your best life and living it now because you don't know how much time you have left. And this is also showing us just how positive and how happy and just how amazing Peyton is. Peyton loved her phone and she usually responded pretty fast to calls and messages from her friends. The last message her friend had gotten from her was on June 6th of 2017. Peyton's friend was calling and messaging, but never got a response. And this really concerned her. Also around this same time, that's when the horses were supposed to be picked up. And when Nadia never came to pick up the horses, the horse people started calling them and they weren't getting any answers either. By June 19th, Peyton's friend had told her mother that she was concerned. She told her mom, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of Peyton. I haven't heard from her in this long. You know, it's been a long time. This is really weird. I I'm concerned. And luckily, this girl's mother was like, yeah, that's very concerning. And she called police and that's when police were asked to go do a welfare check on the Idaho property. Apparently, this wasn't the only call that police had gotten. Mike's family had also noticed it had been a while since they have heard from him. And they also called police about their concern. So there was people noticing this, not immediately. I mean, it took some time, but there were people noticing and eventually police did go out there to do a welfare check. When the responding officers get to the property, he can't find anyone. He's looking around. I'm sure he's knocking on doors. And there's just 
nobody, nobody there. And he's walking around this property and he starts to notice a very strong, terrible smell of death. And he tracks this smell to a shed. And this shed is out back on the farm. When he enters the shed, the smell must have been completely overpowering. And in this shed, he sees a blue tarp. And he's got to look under this blue tarp. He just, this is his job. So he lifts it up and he sees bodies. There are three bodies under this tarp. And because of this summer heat, they were quickly decomposing. One of the bodies was identified using dental records and the other two bodies, it took a while to identify them. All three victims had bullet wounds to the head. There was more than just human bodies discovered on the farm though. Whoever committed these murders most likely also shot and killed three dogs and some pet birds on the farm. Police ask around to the neighbors if they had heard any gunshots, but nobody could recall specifically hearing any gunshots or making any mental notes or feeling concern about any gunshots that they may have heard around the time police believe the victims were murdered. Apparently guns were shot around this area all the time and it wouldn't have seemed odd to people even if they had heard these gunshots. It is possible that they did hear them, but again, they didn't register as this, uh, register this as an event, something that they should remember because I think it was just so common to hear gunshots. There was even a video of Mike and Peyton shooting guns on the property for fun. So, I mean, this is a common occurrence. If you hear gunshots all the time, you're not even going to think about them anymore. Just, oh, someone's target shooting. Oh, someone's, you know, shooting their gun off, whatever. When I first started researching this case, I thought that the three bodies were going to be that of Mike, Nadia, and Peyton. And I was thinking maybe this is a robbery situation. Maybe this was a home invasion gone terribly, terribly wrong where the home invader was caught in the act and and shot everybody, put the bodies in the shed and then took off. But no, that's that is not what this is. On August 8th, police spoke to the public with the coroner, and the coroner announced through DNA testing, they confirmed the two bodies to be that of Nadia and Peyton. Police tested their DNA against known sources found in the home that belonged to Nadia and Peyton. They didn't say specifically what these known samples were but if I had to guess I would say it was something like their hairbrushes or their toothbrushes something that was specific to them that was a known sample the third body had been identified previously through dental records but it was not who everybody thought it was going to be the three bodies in the shed were that of Nadia her teenage daughter Peyton and this is where things get really twisted the third body belonged to a 56-year-old woman named Cheryl Baker, Mike's wife. Not ex-wife, but his current full-on wife, who he had been married to for seven years. Seven years. They had retirement plans that involved this farm, the farm that Nadia and Peyton 
thought was their home, the farm they were fixing up, the farm they were gushing about online, the farm they were posting videos of saying how how much they loved it and how they love their new home. That wasn't that wasn't their home. During that August 8th press conference, it was said that uh, the discussion of filing first degree murder charges against Mike Bullinger was in motion and they would have they soon would have like that day they would have warrants for his arrest, but they couldn't locate him. So they believed that Mike was responsible for doing this. Um, that farm that Mike said that he had bought and moved Nadia in, in Peyton out to, that was actually Cheryl Baker's farm. Like that was in her name. She had bought it. It was her property. And it doesn't sound like Mike contributed to the purchase of it at all. There was nothing that I heard that was like, oh yeah, they split it or whatever. No, it sounds like Cheryl had bought the entire thing. And I'm not sure how much Mike was even working as as this private pilot. I don't know if he even had his own money coming in because when he said he was working as a private pilot and he was away for that time, he would have been with his wife. And then when with his wife, he would be like, oh, I need to go work as a, a private pilot for a few weeks. That's when he would go to this property where he had Nadia and Peyton. So was he actually working? Was he actually bringing in his own money or was he just living off of his wife? Mike and Cheryl, they had lived in Ogden together. That's the same place that Nadia and Peyton lived before moving out to Idaho on this farm. That is where Nadia and Mike met. That was in Ogden. And while Mike was dating Nadia in Ogden, she was actually only eight miles away from Cheryl the entire time. That's how far away their houses were from each other. Only eight miles. And remember, uh, Nadia, she was posting on social media all the time. Her and Mike cuddling, her and Mike kissing, her, Mike and Peyton going on these what seemed to be like family holidays. And Mike was in these pictures. You could clearly see him in these pictures. And they're living in the same community that Cheryl's living in. It's just so wild that one of Cheryl's friends wasn't like a friend, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever, and was for some reason on Nadia's Facebook, like had Nadia as a friend on Facebook and saw these pictures like that didn't happen. And for some reason, Mike, he didn't seem to care at all that Nadia was posting all of these pictures of, of them like kissing and cuddling and hugging on Facebook. It's just crazy because Cheryl, she did have Facebook, I believe. But, you know, so she, she could have easily stumbled across that, especially if Nadia had made her and Mike her profile picture. And then something would have popped up like, hey, do you know this person? Because again, friends of friends of friends, whatever, Facebook recommends it. But that didn't happen. And Mike didn't seem the least bit worried about having these pictures of him and Nadia kissing all over Facebook it wasn't even a concern for him when Mike and Nadia started dating Mike he would never spend the night at her house and well I shouldn't say never there was one time one time in the entire time they were dating that he did and Nadia just thought that Mike didn't want things to move too quickly I guess and she, she never really questioned this Mike had told her 
that it had been 10 years since he had been in a relationship. So maybe she just thought he was getting familiar with the idea of dating again or something like this. It didn't really raise too much suspicion as she didn't think anything like, you know, there was a double life happening here. The real reason, obviously, we know now that uh, Mike couldn't spend many nights at Nadia's house was because he had to go home every night to his wife. This is why I say like he, he was Mike in some sources and Gerald in other sources because it seems like to his wife he was Gerald and to Nadia he was Mike. He had created two different worlds where even his name was different. His religious beliefs were different. With Nadia, he claimed he was an atheist. And with his wife, Cheryl, he was Hindu. And they even attended temple together. Nadia, Cheryl, or anyone close to them never suspected of Mike having these double lives or even cheating Because whichever life he was living, he seemed to be really good at keeping up that mask of keeping up appearances. Whatever he was doing, he was full on into it. If he was atheist, he was atheist. If he goes home and he's a Hindu, he is at temple with his wife. And it's, he's just like a, like a a chameleon. He's just blending in to whatever reality he has to and he does it really really well there was no indication that he was even cheating on his wife Cheryl let alone having basically a whole other family it would you know he just was really good at keeping those worlds apart and keeping up appearances Cheryl Baker she seemed like a saint okay this woman you look at a picture of her and you are like oh I can just tell you are so friendly and caring and nurturing she just has that look about her just this peaceful calm look about her and from the information out there that I could find it sounds like she was just so incredibly kind and caring like her personality matched how she looked her job her job was teaching blind and deaf children. She had committed her life to this and she was soon retiring. This is when Mike and her made plans to buy this property in Idaho so that they could retire there together after a lifetime of teaching deaf and blind children. Cheryl, she loved art loved it so creative she even made her own wedding dress like she was just a creator and when she retired a huge part of her plan was to move to this farm and have a small studio on the property so she could just be creative and free and just create art and that's what she wanted to do so June 6 Cheryl retires from her teaching job she worked hard her whole life in a very noble career and she was now blessed enough to retire these were supposed to be her golden years spent waking up when she wants to drinking tea while looking out over a sunset in her art studio feeding farm animals reaping what she had sown unfortunately things turned out very different mike explained his time away from cheryl as he was doing her a favor 
he said, hey, I'm going to go out to the property that you've just bought and I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to fix up the farm. I'm going to fix up the property. So by the time you've wrapped everything up over here, like selling the house and packing and all that stuff, the property is going to be ready for you to move into and start your retirement. And Cheryl was like, wow, awesome. Okay, let me sell the house, okay? There was a lot of packing and organizing that needed to be done. She had to finish selling the house, do all that stuff. So she she was busy. She was busy. Uh, And I could imagine Cheryl, she was probably so excited for her retirement property. She was even telling friends, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to put an art studio on it. It's going to be awesome. Um, and why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't, why would she think any different? She had this gorgeous piece of land. She thought her husband was out there preparing it for them to move on to. And one day she thought, you know what? You know what? I'm going to go drive to that property. I'm going to surprise Mike. I can't wait to see the property. I'm so excited. I don't have a job anymore. I can get in my car. I can drive the four and a half, five hours And it's going to be really amazing to see what my future looks like. But she had no idea that her husband had this secret life out there. It's unclear on the date that Cheryl decided to drive down to the property, but there was a text sent to her friend from her on June 11th. And this text read, take care of my dogs. I don't know if I'm coming back. So that's quite a strange text to get. I mean, it could just mean, hey, I don't know if I'm coming back tonight or I don't know if I'm coming back for a couple days. But she didn't elaborate. It just says, I don't know if I'm coming back, which, you know, that seems very odd. And that that's all I know about that text message. That's all I know that it said. Police believe that Cheryl, Nadia, and Peyton were killed days before this, though between June 8th and June 9th. And remember, she had just retired on the 6th. So she had lived her retirement life two or three days. She had worked her entire life, was ready to retire, thinking she's going to have 10, 20, 30 years, whatever, to enjoy her retirement. She has two or three days and it's gone. It's possible that Cheryl didn't send that text message though and the person who sent it could have been Mike. Police are thinking that Cheryl actually arrived on the 8th or the 9th like the late in the 8th early the 9th whatever 8th or the 9th and she was murdered and then Mike grabbed her phone and texted her friend take care of my dogs I don't know if I'm coming back. Is it possible that maybe Mike had another plan in the works that didn't quite come to fruition? Was he going to try to hide all these murders and just live out on that property and just try to keep telling people and friends, oh, I don't know, they'll be back this week, oh, they've gone on a cruise, whatever, I don't know. If that was his plan, that did not work. It did, it, that, that is not how things turned out. Police believe when Cheryl showed up at the property, she discovered her husband's secret life and then Mike killed everyone. It's unclear how exactly it all went down and there's there's really only speculation. There's really only the police going off the evidence of what they have and kind of coming up with theories. And the evidence shows that all three victims were shot in the head once and it was described as execution style. 
I don't know. I just, how did Mike have so much control over all three victims to the point he shot them one by one in the head? It's these details which are unknown. Uh, I mean, was Mike there when Cheryl arrived? Did Cheryl meet Nadia and Peyton and figure out what was happening? And when the women got angry at Mike, did he just turn the gun on all of them and just shoot them one by one in the head? I don't believe the evidence, if any, found inside the home was released, such as blood spatter. Um, And I never exactly heard where they believe that the shootings happened, whether they think it happened outside, whether they think it happened in the shed, whether they think it happened in the house. I didn't hear any of that evidence. There's still a lot about this case that hasn't been released. And Mike, he did, we do know that he did bring them all out to the shed because that's where the bodies were found. So it's just these details that are very unclear. I mean, there's only four people that know what happened and three of them we know for sure can't tell us. There was another question people were asking as well. And that was, what was Mike's long-term plan? What was his plan here? He knew eventually Cheryl was moving out to her property. It was her property. It was in her name. She bought it. It was her retirement property. He knew Nadia, Peyton, and Cheryl would eventually have to meet one day. I mean, there was just no way around that. So what was his plan? Some people suspect he was planning on pitching a polygamy relationship to the women. And some people speculate he may have been planning to kill Cheryl or divorce Cheryl and take half of her money from the home that she had just sold because she had just sold that home where they were living in Utah to move out to, to Idaho. And that was her house. That was also in her name. So where was Mike? Where's Mike though? Police are looking for him. Where is he? In that August 8th press conference, someone in the crowd asked police if it's possible Mike had flown somewhere to get away. Because after all, he is a pilot, remember? And when I heard that question, I was like, oh, okay. If that's the case, he could be anywhere. He could fly down to Mexico. He could buy a new identity and then literally go anywhere from there. Police believe Mike had a full 10 days to plan an escape and get as far away as possible before the murders were discovered. 10 days. The day after the murders on the 10th, it's believed Mike left the property in his truck, went out for breakfast ate a damn breakfast in the next town over, went out for fucking breakfast. Then he drove back to Utah. Once in Utah, he switched out his truck for another car his wife had. June 11th, he was seen on camera entering Bridger Teton National Forest, which is 3.8 million acres. And it's located in Wyoming. This is a massive, massive forest and it's, it's so dangerous out there. There's animals, there's fucking grizzly bears, there's wolves, it's rugged terrain, and it is millions of acres. The car Mike was driving was found by police at a campsite in the area, but no Mike. Police do say they found crucial evidence in that car, but they never released what it is that they found. They never released that. To this day, that is not released. 
It's believed Mike may have fled into the wilderness to escape police, and given his wilderness survival training, it's possible he could survive out there for a short period of time, but not indefinitely. I mean, summer might be easy, but winter, that is a whole other ballgame. Not to mention, again, grizzly bears and wolves. So did Mike flee into the wilderness or was this just a ploy to throw off police of his whereabouts? Did he park that car at that campsite? Did he know he would be seen on the cameras entering that park? And was just this just to throw off police? Because that's what I kind of think. Police thought they found Mike during the manhunt for him in Yellowstone National Park on July 20th, one month after the bodies were discovered. So okay? so this is one month after the bodies were discovered, they're looking for Mike. Everybody's looking for him. And it's July 20th. We're in Yellowstone National Park. And a family of three, they were just minding their own business when all hell broke loose, creating a traumatic and unforgettable experience for them. So rangers saw a man who must have looked like Mike, although in, in sources I read that this guy did not look like Mike at all with a woman and their seven-year-old daughter and they were driving an SUV near the park heading into the park around the park somewhere near Yellowstone and I also read that the vehicle was the main reason for the suspicion as this was what they thought Mike might be driving for some reason and that was never really explained why they thought Mike may be driving an SUV. Rangers pulled over the SUV and at this point it sounded like it got heated and police were called out immediately. Uh, the entire time their vehicle was blocked by rangers. So I think the guy pulled over because he was like, oh no, what do these rangers want? So he pulled over. He was like, I'm not even trying to run or escape. He pulls over. The rangers are like, eek, and like skeech up in front of his car. He's blocked in. He's got a seven-year-old He's got a seven -year -old daughter. He's got his wife in the car. He's like, what the fuck's going on? And the terrified family was then ordered out of their vehicle at gunpoint and told to put their hands up and to get on the ground. Police then separated the family into different police cars and allegedly pointed guns at them the entire time. I'm not sure how long this whole situation took, how long this went on for, but I did read it was an hour. An hour of just complete terror for this family because they didn't even say hey we think you're this guy at first I think it took like a long time for this man to even be told why he was being held at gunpoint by police they didn't say hey we think you're the guy who killed these people he had no idea what the fuck was going on after that hour eventually the man proved that he was not Mike Bollinger I don't know why it took police so I mean he had his ID and then I think he didn't even really look like him it should have taken 15 minutes if that but okay so I mean good luck to that family to enjoy their holiday after that that would be so terrifying you would just be on edge having a gun pointed at no -uh, no 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 having a gun pointed at your seven-year-old daughter I mean that's gonna no that's just gonna ruin the whole family vacation the couple were so distraught over the situation that eventually they filed a lawsuit the lawsuit was based on claims of improper search and seizure excessive force false imprisonment uh they also claimed that this event uh, caused their loss of freedom and emotional distress and pain and suffering. Also, 
uh, loss of enjoyment of life. And there was allegations of intentional recklessness and outrageous actions. There had also been tips pouring into police about people believing that they had seen Mike alive and well out in public but none of them led to Mike and I mean if you look up a picture of Mike he kind of looks like any 60 year old guy he's got gray hair he's a little bit bigger I mean you could probably mistake a lot of people to be this guy to this day though Mike has never been found alive or dead or dead Police do believe he is dead, though, but they won't go into details about why they think that. And I really want to know, because as far as I know, there, were, there was no remains found. There was no body found. So why do they think that he's dead? There are many possibilities and theories, including Mike committing suicide out there in the woods. But again, no remains have been found. And many people don't think he would do that. I mean, why would he go to all that trouble? You go all the way to Wyoming to kill himself in a 3.8 million acre national forest. Why why would he do that? Why wouldn't he do it on the farm after the murders occurred? But so okay, so then I started thinking about this. And I was like, actually, it wouldn't be that unusual for him to do this because remember the two men in northern Canada who murdered the two backpackers and the elderly man at Liard Hot Springs? Well, they were on the run for a while before killing themselves in the in the woods. However, their bodies were discovered. Police found their bodies and they could say, yes, they committed these murders. They fled from police. They thought they had these incredible survival skills. They went into the bush. Upon reflection, they decided to kill themselves. So it's not unheard of. This does happen. This can happen. Other theories involved Mike hitchhiking out of the park and finding a new woman to con. Perhaps he changed his identity and is living off of an unsuspecting, kind-hearted woman right now. Maybe he crossed into Canada through the mountains on rugged, unpatrolled terrain. I'm sure there's lots of that on the border. Either he would have crossed on foot or in a small plane he piloted himself. We don't know where he is and... As far as I know, I don't believe the gun that was used to kill Nadia, Cheryl, and Peyton has ever been discovered either. I don't even think they found the murder weapon. And I would guess that if they find Mike, they could probably find that gun. Or maybe he ditched it in the in the rugged terrain of the the national forest but it as far as I know that gun has never been found Mike has never been found his remains have never been found he's just vanished police do consider this case to be closed though there is no doubt in their mind that Mike committed these murders and then fled to either kill himself in the forest or tried to survive in the forest and then was either eaten by animals or killed in the brutal winter that's what this is where police have landed on this I, and I mean they know way more than I know I don't know everything that police know but I really think the idea of him piloting a small plane to flee the country has merit. I think, I don't know what they know, but I I don't know. I'm just saying, that makes sense. He's a pilot. It's one of his strengths. He's charming. He's egotistical. I just feel like he would do something like that. Maybe he had a small plane that he had purchased using cash 
that he made while working his private piloting gig. Maybe he kept all this money hidden. He bought this plane. He kept that plane hidden from everyone in case he ever had to go on the run. And maybe after the murders, he put that car in the forest, made sure to be seen on camera, but that was to steer police in the wrong direction. Maybe he actually went to some small hangar somewhere, ripped a sheet off a plane, dust flew everywhere, jumped in and took off. In which direction? I don't know. I would assume Mexico. Maybe he flew into Mexico. He could buy a whole new identity. That's, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. By 2018, Sheriff Kieran Donahue told Idaho News that he believes the case has been 100% solved. The case is remaining active. However, it was presumed Mike Bullinger is dead. So they've solved the case. This is what he's saying. The sheriff is like, we've solved this case. We know who's done it. We don't know where he is, but I'm sure he's dead. I'm not so sure. I need more proof that he's dead. I need some remains. I need a body. I need, I need something. I mean, Mike seems like a really sneaky, egotistical guy. From what I gathered, this wasn't Mike's first time having affairs or putting on a mask to appear to be someone he wasn't. This wasn't something new. This wasn't something he developed in his late 50s. This wasn't his first time. Cheryl was actually his third wife. His first two wives didn't have good things to say about Mike, including allegations of domestic abuse. There are still so many unanswered questions surrounding this case, and yet it's considered solved. I think this is the first case I've covered that has this outcome. This is this is unique to this case. I do encourage everyone to Google a picture of Gerald Michael Bollinger, just so you know what he looks like. Because if he is alive, then he is for sure conning someone somewhere. And he is very, very dangerous. Mike went from loving Peyton, loving this 14-year-old girl like she was his own daughter, loving Nadia like they were soulmates, while the entire time tricking his wife, who he also appeared to love unconditionally and love so much, for you know nearly a decade he was together with his wife. He, he went from being this amazing guy to all of these women to shooting them all in the head when they discovered one another. And then he left their bodies to rot in a shed under a tarp and just fled. So, it, you know, you just never really know what people are capable of. That wraps up this week's case. But who knows? Maybe one day Mike will be found living on a beach in Mexico. Maybe he squirreled a bunch of cash away in an offshore bank account and he's in Mexico, and he's living under a fake name, and maybe he'll be found, and he'll be caught, and finally brought to justice. Or maybe his remains will be discovered in the forest, or maybe he'll be discovered conning somebody in Canada. Maybe he's up in Canada under under a fake name. Who knows? Maybe he's in Europe. He could literally go anywhere once he obtained a fake identity. And maybe this isn't the end. Maybe this is just the end for now. 
If you haven't subscribed or followed the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on, please do so now if you would like to receive notifications when a new episode is released. Also, Hell No, A True Crime Podcast is on TikTok and Instagram at hellno underscore a true crime podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Oh,